welcome back to the podcast. This is Beyond Balance, and I am still Catherine Zach. I'm so happy that you are here today. It's been a minute since the last episode because life, sweet, dear, tender, busy, unpredictable, uncontrollable, uncertain, beautiful, full life is happening every day. (laughs) So I thought I'd pop back here with a special episode segment that I'm calling Life Lately because I love structuring episodes around your amazing questions. And we've got so many more coming up this season. Yay. (laughs) Thank you for sending your honest real life stress questions my way. Keep submitting them at katherinezack.com slash ask me. I'll throw the link in the show notes. And also just know that I've never gotten a question that I was like, wow, that's the only one like that. That's the only time I've heard that. So there's absolutely nothing you can ask me about stress or dealing with stress or living life with stress that will make me flinch. If you're feeling it, someone else is too. Simple as that. So ask, ask away. It helps us all. So we'll return to regularly scheduled episodes around your questions next week. But like, I gotta keep it real. Life lately. I'm no expert. I'm no guru. There's so much stuff I'm figuring out myself every single day. The mindfulness-based stress reduction work that I study and teach is what I practice myself because I need it. There's no magic makeover or pill or three-step process that can take away stress, nor would we want that because not all stress is bad stress. More on that in a minute. It's just inevitable. As long as we are alive and interacting with our environment, the world around us, our nervous systems will be systematically reacting and responding. We'll be working with stress as long as we are alive. So this Life Lately episode is a chance for me to kind of pull back the curtain a bit and share in real time some of the light bulb moments that I'm having in my own practice and in the real life wild of my actual life so that we can learn together. And I'll use this episode to share a practice with you that I am actually doing myself daily right now. It's like my bread and butter, my saving grace. So stay tuned all the way to the end of this episode and we'll practice it together. Okay, so October was a beautiful, crazy blur. We were still settling into new school rhythms with my older kids starting kindergarten. What a wild thing. Time keeps marching on. (laughs) And we had COVID in September. And then by October, the worst pediatric care crisis in decades. It's a thing. Look up the article in The Atlantic, or if you're a parent of little ones, you probably already know this. Well, that pediatric care crisis came knocking on our door. We got all the colds and all the coughs, all of us, incessant, nonstop. Then the most pitiful little kiddo virus 
hand, foot, and mouth disease came for my little guy. And at that point, mid-month, I was scheduled to head to DC for some work travel, which I was really excited about. I was returning to an event at my old law firm. I had a class at my old yoga studio, some clients, and a lot of friends to catch up with. It was my first time back to DC since that fateful day in March 2020, when life as we knew it was upended and we left. So I was nervous to go back. I was excited. I didn't want to leave my little guy, but I knew he was in good hands with his dad. All of it. It was actually good stress. It showed me that there was something there for me to walk through, to go through. So one of the things I was kind of nervous about was going to the event at my old law firm. On a basic kind of social isolation post-pandemic living level, I was nervous, like many of us are as we venture back out into in-person larger gatherings. Like, I'm out of practice. (laughs) It used to feel really normal, and now it feels really different. So I'm not discounting that. That's real. I can feel it. I know some of you are too. Plus, these were people from my life before my sliding doors moment before I decided to leave big law almost nine years ago. And even though I've been back to the law firm for different workshops and events over the years, like the world is different now. I am different. We all are different. So I was nervous. And it was so interesting navigating this room of lawyers in a town like DC, where inevitably the first question anyone asks is, so what do you do? (laughs) Or at a big alumni event at my old law firm, the question is like, where are you now? Meaning, are you in the government? Are you in-house? Or are you at another law firm? All of these questions about the doing part of our lives the titles we hold, the life on paper or our LinkedIn bio. And well, even if we're new to each other, even if this is the first podcast episode you're listening to, it might be clear to you already. I am no longer a what do you do girl. (laughs) It's not in the lexicon of my life these days. And that is by choice. That is me opting out of that question as a central organizing principle in my life and my relationships. Because so much of the world around us is predicated on that question. And it's so tied to our worth, our value, our sense of self, not only on like an external hierarchical plane, like We collect the degrees and the titles and the achievements and the awards, and they can be awesome. They are not everything. We use them as currency in our outer world, and then we internalize them as part of our inner narrative around our identity, around our worth, around our value. Like what we do can become who we think we are. Okay. (laughs) So existential crisis aside, I was like, how do I operationalize this? How do I reconnect and even meet new people in a, what do you do kind of world of small talk when 
I want to be having a whole different set of conversations with people when that is my actual work in the world is to help people on the pathway of self-inquiry and self-understanding and help leaders and companies shape cultures where people can be well in order to do their best work. But the being part comes first. That's the foundation, being-centered doing. So long story short, and here's what I'll give you. (laughs) If and when you find yourself in the next small talk situation, dreading the question of, so what do you do? And not wanting to ask it yourself because, oh, who cares? (laughs) And what does that really tell us when you're looking back at a breathing, living, tender, fragile human being and they say, finance. Kiss, kiss to all my finance people out there. (laughs) So here's what I asked and here's what I'll give you. What does life feel like for you right now? Boom. (laughs) A whole brave new world of conversation opens up. Use it and tell me what kinds of conversations you start to have. And you can even use this in place of the equally cringeworthy. How are you? (laughs) To which the only acceptable answers seem to be fine or swamped, just really busy and important or swamped, overwhelmed and exhausted. So my dears, how does life feel for you right now? What does life feel like for you right now? I'm asking you. Ask your people. Let's start having the real conversations. Okay? So, another thing that happened while I was away back to the pediatric healthcare crisis my one-year-old went right from hand, foot, and mouth disease into RSV, which is a really tough respiratory virus for young kiddos. And he also apparently had three other respiratory viruses at once. And I get a call from my husband a few days into my work trip. And by this time, I have settled into a few solo days of a writing retreat to work on my book. And Sam calls and he's taking Georgie to the hospital. Now, today, Georgie is fine. But we had two scary visits to the ER. We finally got great care and he's now totally on the other side. Thank goodness. But at that moment, I got that call, right? I'm in the middle of it. I've got 1,000 post-its and index cards taped to the walls of my Airbnb. I've got soup on the stove. I've got a billion notebooks and books all over the place. I'm typing away furiously and I gotta go. I got to pack up and get in the car and drive eight or nine hours home while this visit to the ER is happening. And immediately my nervous system initiates the stress response. Thank goodness. I go into tunnel vision. My blood starts pumping. My heart beats faster. I'm laser focused as I stop what I was doing. Pack up quickly. Let my Airbnb lady know and hop in the car to start driving home. This, my dear friends, is an example of stress at its finest. 
the physiological experience of my nervous system helping me do exactly what I needed to do in that moment to respond to an emergency situation. Amazing. Bravo. Good design of the system. Good execution in the moment. We're in business. (laughs) So that's why I always give you my unsexy promise. My work, this work, stress school, this podcast will never take away your stress completely. The good news is that you wouldn't want me to because the right amount of stress at the right time in response to the right stuff is good stress. We need it. What is not good stress is when we are constantly stuck in fight, flight, or freeze. When we are suspended in a state of chronic stress that eventually wears down our bodies and leads to chronic conditions and pain and symptoms in our bodies like high blood pressure, TMJ, digestive issues, can cause illness like heart disease and can even kill us. So thankfully, yes. Yes, there are these skills that are research-backed and evidence-based to help us manage our stress. We can learn them. We can train in them. That's why I created Stress School. But that's only half the story. Stress, my dears, is not only killing us. Stress is keeping us all too often from actually living our lives. So between revisiting the law firm, my kiddo's emergency, and the work I've been doing in stress school and in writing this book about stress, I realize that it's not just stress that's the problem. That's the stuff we can learn to manage. But the real problem is, dun, 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 stress culture. Stress culture. Stress culture. Why haven't I seen it before? It's been right there in front of me. But stress culture is the thing that has harnessed the emotions and the qualities and the characteristics of fight, flight, or freeze, like racing, like aggression, like numbing out into a whole values-based system that we are constantly swimming in. So on the one hand, we can be drowning in a sea of chronic stress on a physiological level and need a lifeboat, need a life vest to get us out to safety. That's one thing. Those are the skills we can train in and learn and practice to manage our stress. But we can also be swimming proper strokes in the designated lanes of the pool of stress culture and feel like we are drowning too. Oof. So for almost nine years since leaving Big Law, I thought, I left Big Law to solve my own stress problem, to physiologically learn how to heal from chronic stress and manage my stress, and then teach people how to do that too with the tools of meditation and mindfulness. But holy cow, what I see now too is that I was escaping stress culture. I was done feeling like I was drowning. Like I couldn't get a proper breath in. Like I was going nowhere I wanted to be, even though I was swimming my proper strokes in my proper lanes, my proper laps in that pool of stress. I was finally climbing out of the pool. 
I was opting out of working around the clock, of no boundaries anywhere, of hustling harder and harder, of always chasing some ever elusive golden ring of achievement or a payday or a diploma or prestige or even an empty inbox or a completed to-do list or a myth-like balance. That is stress culture. That's what I left. That's what this is all about. (laughs) Turns out that we can actually do the real work that is simple, but not always easy. The work of healing our stress on a physiological level of learning to manage our own stress through learning and training in research-backed evidence-based tools we can learn and practice and use for a lifetime to manage our stress. But we do that only, I think, at this moment, because this moment requires so much of us so that we can get started on the real work of dismantling the stress culture system. We can do the real work of dismantling the stress culture system that keeps us exhausted and striving and busy and feeling like we're doing so much, but that we're never doing enough. We're never good enough. Like we'll never get there. But maybe if we keep up the carpool and all the activities and achieve one more thing, we'll finally arrive. But my dears, relief when we crash at the end of our busy days is not the same as happiness or joy or contentment, presence or connection. And we're kind of on to that now, aren't we? So that's the work. That's the real work we're up to here. And it starts with each of us handling our own stress and then doing this work together from an integrated place of dismantling the stress culture systems. And it's not just an external system we're responding to, like all the systems. We've internalized this one too. And if you're not sure if you've got internalized stress culture syndrome, I think I need a catchier name perhaps for this. (laughs) If you're not sure that you have, here's a way to check. If you've ever thought, well, if I could just get up one hour earlier and have the right morning routine or the right calendar system or backend email organizer or app that I can track, or if I can just get to the other side of this deadline or land this client or win this case or get that degree, then I'll be okay. If you've ever had a thought like that, and lordy, I have, then we've internalized it. So we've got work to do, but good work, vital work, healing work, revolutionary work. (laughs) And I'm not going to leave you hanging on that. I'm going to share with you now my current bread and butter practice of doing that work myself. It's this. Deep peace. Deep peace deep peace. Listen, I have two young kids and I live in a stress culture world. I'm not talking about peace, like peace and quiet and calm all the time. My life is full and chaotic too. I'm talking deep peace, which means to me, like I am not spun out in a physiological state of chronic fight, flight, or freeze. I'm not making decisions from my anxiety or worry or planning from my panic, panicking as I call it. (laughs) I'm integrating my stress regularly 
And I am moving from that gorgeous window of optimal nervous system functioning wherever I can, where I can be calm and alert and non-reactive. And it means that I am making choices that help me opt out of stress culture every day where I can. Like I'm simplifying my schedule where I can. Like I'm getting more sleep and rest where I can. I'm taking a deep breath and choosing to focus on my big, meaningful, creative work instead of feeling bad because everyone around me seems to be doing more and better things. It means trusting the timing of my life instead of worrying that I am constantly behind. It means not glorifying the badge of busyness. It means being present with my people, even in the chaos, being present with my whole damn life, (laughs) with all its ups and downs, and even the lawnmower right outside my window. (laughs) So this practice that we'll end with, it uses deep breathing and repetition to research-backed, evidence-based ways to help initiate the relaxation response in our bodies and thus helps us to manage our stress on a physiological level. And it can also be an orienting question to help us opt out of stress culture. What would deep peace feel like in this moment? How would deep peace plan my schedule today? How would deep peace do the holidays this year? So it works on both levels and let's practice it together. So go ahead and get as comfortable as you can wherever you are in this moment. Let all the sounds around you all the things we'd otherwise call distractions, let them be a part of the landscape of this moment. Like we take it in what we can hear or the itch that we have to scratch because that right there, that is the present moment. So go ahead, use your senses. It's one of the surest ways I know into the present moment. What do you hear? What do you smell? Do you taste anything? Can you feel anything with your hands? Maybe you can see something now, but you just let the eyes close a bit, take in less of the room around you. If you're driving, keep your eyes on the road. (laughs) Go ahead and notice this breath that you're on. Take a deep breath in through your nose and you can hold your breath at the very top. And when you need to open your mouth and let a deep breath go. Again, like that, deep breath in through your nose and hold. Open the mouth, exhale. Take one more like that. Deep breath in through your nose and hold. 
and open the mouth and let it go. Next time you inhale, as you breathe in, you can say to yourself, I am. And as you breathe out, you can say to yourself, deep peace. As you inhale, I am. As you exhale, deep peace. Breathe in, I am. Breathe out, deep peace. Inhale, I am. Exhale, deep peace. Deep breath in, I am. Deep breath out, deep peace. Inhale, I am. Exhale, deep peace. One more like that together. Breathe in, I am. And then let it go. Deep peace. Hey, my friends, you can practice that anytime you need to. Thank you so much for joining me for this Life Lately episode. Please, please, if you got something out of it, pass it along to a friend. You can visit katherinezack.com to ask a question for an upcoming episode of the podcast or learn more about stress school or how to bring this work to your organization or company. I am so grateful for you. See you next time. Go in deep peace, my friends. Deep peace. Thank you.